In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is I want to thank Gabriel for giving such a beautiful epistle reading today. That was his first time reading like that. He did a really nice job. Today we'll talk about the gospel reading, which is a parable, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. If I were to sum up what uh, I think that this parable that Christ is giving us is trying to say is that what we do in this life matters. What we do in this life matters. We talked a little bit about that last night. It seems to be a story about the afterlife. It seems to be a story about what happens after you have departed. Showing, you know, the great chasm, the great difference between the two who have lived very different extremes during their time on earth. But who was his audience? Not the dead, but the living. So I think the parable of the rich man and Lazarus is a message very much to us who are alive on this side of eternity. I want to talk briefly today about death, which feels very near to us after yesterday, having a funeral here. And also I want to talk about what's referred to as the remembrance of death. And you'll hear some phrases and some themes that I've brought up before, and that's good. There are, there are some things that, that I want to be a part of your personal lexicon, your personal vocabulary. Like if I say, what does Saint Seraphim of Sarov say that we lack? I want all of you to know the answer to that question, for example. Or what is that saying on top of the entry into that monastery on Mount Athos? And you'll hear it again today. I'll tell you. But there are some, some things that are very helpful and they're tools in our toolbox. I'll try not to give you too much. No promises. But I'll try to give you some things to cling to as we're talking about death and the remembrance of death, how they relate, relate to us who are living. St. Ignatius Brianchaninov has, um, has written on death that death is the inevitable fate of every human being. We fear it as the cruelest of enemies. We bitterly mourn those whom it seized. We live our life as, as though... Death does not exist as though we are mortals on this earth. And then, in response to those concerns, he cries out, Oh, my coffin, why do I forget you? You wait for me. You wait and I will definitely be your inhabitant. So why do I forget you and act as if though the coffin were the fate only of other people and not my own fate. Sin has taken and continues to take away any knowledge or sense of truth that I had. It takes away from me the remembrance of death. Of this event that is so important to me. 
It takes away remembrance. To remember death, one must live a life according to the commandments of Christ. The commandments of Christ purify the mind and heart, making them dead to the world and alive in Christ. The mind that has rejected earthly passions begins to turn often to the mysterious passing into eternity, to death. The purified heart begins to foresee death. End of quote. And I'll state the obvious and repeat St. Ignatius in saying that death is an impending reality. Death is, uh, for us, it seems like a distant ultimatum. It's not near enough for me to be afraid of it yet, for me to be concerned about what it will really mean to me. And because of that, I think, we maintain a level of comfort in our life, and we delay, we procrastinate in saying yes to God. Procrastinating and being faithful to Him. Telling ourselves things like, this may sound too familiar, eventually I'll start to pray. Eventually I'll start to pray. I'll really start reading the Scriptures soon. I know I need to read the Bible. I need to ask that person for forgiveness. Eventually. I'll give him a call in the days to come. We need to be, as Christians, we need to be intensely aware of the responsibilities that we're neglecting. Because our relationship with the world and those around us is one of stewardship and responsibility. By delaying in such ways, we're delaying saying yes to God. Who's really set out a a beautiful yet difficult path to salvation right before us. I keep reminding people over and over again, and we really believe this about the church. We have everything that we need. We have everything that we need here. The church gives us everything that we need in order to live holy lives, in order to live with a sense of purpose, in order to feel like we understand what it means to be a disciple and a follower of Christ in order to enter into a dynamic living community of those who are being reconciled to Christ and to one another. We've been given everything that we need. What are we doing with it? We're taking it for granted a lot of time. And I think, you know, it's because, because we need to mature in little ways. We need to take little steps, like not neglecting to call that person that we just know we need to call, or getting up 10 minutes early just to say a little more, Prayer, you know, that's where it begins with the little things before we understand the reality of the fullness that we have in the church. We procrastinate and we delay. But if we decide to say yes to God in this life, if we decide to say yes to God now, then we truly believe that we will say yes to him in the life to come. If we procrastinate saying yes to him now, what? What, we want, what will we want to do before the, the dread judgment seat? Make excuses for ourselves, probably. 
Oh, I was planning on getting around to that. And he could very well say, and I don't want to scare you, but I mean, we need to be a little scared sometimes. He could very well say, I gave you everything that you needed. You, you're not a fool. You know that I love you. Why did you squander your time? As we mentioned last night, as those who are living in the tension, we understand that the life to come already is, in a sense. Remember the words of the Savior, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is now. So we have to remember that it's not just a future reality, but it's actually something that we've become blind to, that we're slowly becoming more aware of, rather than a destination. It's a reality that we're becoming more sensitive to. So we, we shouldn't bide our time until our judgment. In a way, and in a healthy way, we need to learn how to judge ourselves. We must, through the exercise of conscious and prayerful self-examination, by inviting the Holy Spirit to illumine our darkness, come to be honest with ourselves so that we can see more clearly the beautiful path of repentance laid before us. Sometimes self-examination seems a little too soft. Oh yeah, I know that about myself. But, but what does that mean? That's, that's not enough sometimes. We actually need to hold ourselves accountable and even kind of, in a way, judge ourselves, not in order to destroy ourselves. If we honestly examine and judge ourselves, we do enter into a therapeutic process described by the church as a constant renewal of our baptism. If we honestly examine ourselves in this life and strive to repent, and remember, repent just means to change, means to do those things, to use the tools that the church has given us. Always need to remind people that to repent means not, doesn't mean to hate yourself, okay? It's so important to remember. But to rid ourselves of what's foreign to our nature so that we won't be surprised in the age to come. Our goal as Christians is to come to have one thought, to try to live as those who have a single thought, a single-mindedness, so that Christ is familiar now and he will be in the age to come when we see him in his glory. As I reflect on what the Christian life is and consider what it means to make us authentic Christians, I think about the words of St. Seraphim of Sorrow. Someone asked him, what is it that we're missing, essentially? What is it that we're missing? There's one thing that we lack, he said, to be perfect. You're, per you're not perfect. Is that what you lack? No, you can't be perfect right away. It's not instantaneous. Does anyone know what he said? There's one thing that we lack. A firm resolve. What is the one thing that St. Seraphim of Sorrow says that we lack? A firm resolve. Thank you. We need to let that arrow pierce our heart a little bit. 
It seems simple enough for us to just say, oh, I just need to renew my resolve and finally mean it this time. But what's different about this time? I like this story. I've told it to you before, but I'm going to tell you again. I remember when I was a youth, I was involved in youth groups, and I was constantly desiring an affirmation of my own salvation. And I was living the roller coaster of youthful emotion, always rededicating my life to Christ. I was already saved, but at almost every youth event I attended, we had an altar call. (laughs) Attendees were provided the opportunity to accept Jesus into their lives. And those who had already been saved had the chance to rededicate their lives to Christ. And so I formally rededicated my life to Christ innumerable times until something happened. Following an emotional talk with inspiring music, our convictions were running high, tingling stomach, nervous excitement. Here it comes, the invitation. And yes, I must respond to the call again. As if for the first time, I went forward and kneeled down among all the other kids. And then someone asked me the question, what's different about it this time? What's different about it this time? And I looked up at him like, unfair, that's unfair. You don't get to ask me that question. I'm supposed to be able to rededicate myself anytime I'm moved to do so. No questions asked. But the question that he asked me was, he had seen me do this before. Other camps and events, you see. And so this question was a call to spiritual maturity. I'm really thankful for that question. What's different this time? You see, I was thriving on a cycle. Mountaintop and valley. Rededication. Excitement, warmth for a while, complacency, convicting talk, rededication again, repeat cycle. But this question, what's different this time? Though it may not have broken the cycle right away, it eventually did. It definitely caused me to question myself before I went forward again, you know? My ideal was to live in a static state of self-affirming grace. Feeling touched, feeling motivated, feeling inspired. And I longed to be emotionally inspired into heaven. But, but I didn't have a firm resolve. Good intention, but no firm resolve. And eventually, when that emotion waned, Complacency came all over again. And this consideration of firm resolve moved me to deepen this contemplation. Why? Why do we lack a firm resolve? And I think it's because we lack a sense of urgency. What the fathers of the church call remembrance of death... Constant acknowledgement of our own limitation, of the reality of death, it can help us cultivate a sense of urgency. Not fear. You have to understand, our faith says that death has been slain and overcome. So we don't need to fear it. 
If we have faith, and if we're living with a sense of resolve now, with a firm resolve and a sense of urgency now. So this isn't morbidity, you know, for us. But it is being realistic. We live lives as if we have tomorrow. As if tomorrow is the day of salvation. Think about the rich man in the parable. Get what we want now. Eventually we'll exercise generosity. Tomorrow I'll work out my salvation. God is gracious. He'll forgive. But as, you, as you've heard me say over and over again, tomorrow may never come. If tomorrow may never come, then how should I live today? And death can and very well might catch us by surprise. But we don't have to be surprised when we find ourselves in the presence of the Creator. And I want to go to that well-known inscription over the entrance to the monastery on Mount Athos. If you die before you die, then you won't die when you die. If you die before you die, then you won't die when you die. So if we die to ourselves and seek to live as with a single thought, and this is difficult, but if we seek to unite ourselves with our Creator, our Lord Jesus Christ, in thought and word and deed, then we will become like Him and we'll come to see Him as He is and we won't be caught by surprise. I've said before that the saints are those who have learned to never say no to God. And I believe that if we say yes to Him today, the ever-present, ever-constant today, the right now, not yesterday or tomorrow, then we'll be prepared to humbly say yes to Him eternally. So then, then we can continue with a firm resolve, which I might call a sustained sense of urgency. But it's something that we have to cultivate in our lives. We have to work on it. And of course, while every breath is an indication of the grace of God, each breath is also my last. And I entrust myself to God to determine whether or not in His providence I will have another. And while I have yet another breath in me, let me not gather for myself only that which I desire in hope of tomorrow. We believe that when we die, we will encounter the Lord. We will be revealed in the light of His splendor. We don't want His splendor to be foreign to us, and it doesn't have to be. But let us seek to purify ourselves and to be humble, to examine ourselves, to constantly renew our desire to identify with Christ in His selfless love in order that we might arise with Him and see Him as He truly is. Our salvation is a process, but it's also an activity that is ever-present. So let's not waylay it until tomorrow. Let's live our lives not as those who are negligent, but those who have a firm resolve. A firm resolve to use what's been given to us because we have everything that we need. That we might know, may know Him and be with Him and glorify Him always, now and forever and unto ages of ages. Amen.